Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donors, sponsors, volunteers, the community, and abroad. Please join me every other Tuesday at noon on BBS Radio, All Roads Lead 65 Max. My special guest today is Mr. Rick Cutler, a freelance musician from New York City. Rick says he has spent his entire life from 2005 onward and released five five CDs of his original compositions, and his sixth CD is already out on March the 24th. It is called The Unfolding. It combines influences of jazz, classical, folk, new age, and world music. Mark Soskin, former pianist for Sonny Rollins and acclaimed drummer, Billy Mintz, appear on his album. Rick is going to give us some tips how an indie musician can go from being a complete unknown to working with some of the world's greatest stars that include some golden nuggets about the differences between working with them as well. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Mr. Cutler, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Great, great. So how are you doing and how's the weather out there? Well, I'm in New York City. The weather is nice, uh, kind of summery, a uh, little cloudy today, but not too bad. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah, so I got a lot of questions to ask. I am totally intrigued and I am very, 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 very much interested about who you are. And I'm so glad to have you on my show. So my first question, you're welcome. My first question, which I was reading about who you are and everything, and you graduated from the Juilliard School. Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) the first thing to tell you is that uh, I did not graduate from the (laughs) Juilliard. I did not graduate from the Juilliard School. (laughs) Uh, That must have been, I don't know whoever sent that to you, that that was completely wrong. I dropped out of the Juilliard School <laughs> after two oh. and a half years. And the reason for that was that um, I was starting to get some work, uh, like real professional level work. And uh, Juilliard at that time was a completely uh, classical school, meaning that um, it taught only classical music. And I wasn't... Um, my my goal was not to be a classical musician. Um, I I did enjoy studying classical. I had I had studied classical 
um, before college with some private teachers. But um, but no, I, I'm a Juilliard dropout. But the only thing I'll add to that is that I uh, joined a uh, stellar list of Juilliard dropouts, uh, <laughs> including uh, Miles Davis and okay. uh, and Chick Corea. So uh, that's my Juilliard story. They have a jazz program now. If they had that then, I I would have stayed. Okay, yeah. But classical, yeah, I can understand that. But hey, it was fun while it lasted, right? Juilliard? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because, to be honest, it really wasn't that much fun at all. Um, I, I um, I used to tell people at the time that you know, in the hallway, you would see, um, you wouldn't see people, you'd see instruments walking down the hallway and meaning that their goal was to become a virtuoso on whatever instrument they played. But the the good thing is, and this is fun while it lasted, is that um, they have, and I think, I think they still do have an entire floor of uh, practice rooms, each one containing a Steinway grand piano. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time in those rooms, um, honing my piano skills while cutting some classes. <laughs> so, um, uh, it, it, it served me well in that regard. Okay. Okay. How did you become a musician? I became a musician when I was five and a half years old. I was watching the halftime festivities, uh, in a football game, um, and I noticed the marching band, and I noticed the drummers, and I said to my dad, I want to do that. And my dad, thankfully, was uh, very encouraging and uh, um, got me a teacher, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. That's how I became a musician. Wow. So who inspired you? Anyone inspired you to continue on till you reach that part of that success story? Uh, well, I have a lot of musicians that inspire me. I, uh, Miles Davis probably being the, uh, the number one, but, um, I, I got the opportunity to study with Chick Corea, the famous jazz pianist who passed away uh, last year. And, uh, that was, uh, he was a huge inspiration to me. And, uh, my teacher from the age of eight, Till the age of 18 was a guy named Henry Adler, who's in the, who's very well known as a drum teacher. And he kind of put me on the road to uh, not just becoming a drummer, but also becoming a percussionist and a pianist. Um, that was his advice. And I uh, can't thank him enough for it. Yeah. You have written music for TV, film, radio that included the Emmy-nominated theme for Dateline NBC, Later Today, on NBC, the theme for the New York Yankees, Discovery Channel, and the Outlaws. That is absolutely exciting. So tell me (laughs) about that. I was reading about all your achievements, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm going to have Rick Cutler. <laughs> well, um, I was uh, hired to write. I, I actually was a co-writer of all that music with a guy named Michael Carp, 
who um, kind of taught me. I, I, I originally worked for him as a drummer, and um, then it expanded to percussion and keyboards. And then he was looking for a writing partner, and I became uh, his writing partner for about, I would say, maybe 12, 13 years. And all of the stuff you mentioned was stuff that we worked on together. And uh, I, through that, uh, I learned how to write for TV, how to write for commercials. And it served me very well when uh, I got some work of my own without Michael, uh, specifically uh, the Gregory Hines TV show. Gregory Hines, a great late tap dancer, had a yes. very short-lived uh, sitcom on CBS. And Absolutely. I was, uh, and I was, uh, the sole writer for all that music and the years I spent as a co-writer, um, served me well in that it prepared me for exactly how that works and what you need to do. Wow. That's big. Yeah. And I was also reading about, about you and everything and you performed in many Broadway shows, including hair the Wiz, right. Candid, who is playing right. your song, Women, right. Woman of the Year, and right. Seesaw. How That's exciting right. is that? So tell me about that. That's more music, right? That is that is music. It's, uh, yeah, that all, those are all musicals. Um, yeah. That was probably my most exciting, my first exciting gig. Uh, um, as I was mentioning before, how uh, Henry got me to study percussion, I was studying the vibraphone mm -hmm. with a guy named Warren Chasson, who was in the original, uh, and this is the original, original hair, the very, very first production on Broadway. He was in that band, and one night he couldn't make it, and he asked me to fill in for him, and I did. And uh, they wound up liking me there, and I wound up doing a lot of subbing for uh, the original hair. And that, uh, my name kind of spread around a bit, and um, slowly I got more work in other shows uh, of my own, not being a sub, but actually being the regular guy. And I did that all through uh, the 70s. And um, it was quite an experience, I'll tell you. Playing a Broadway show is, uh, it, it's really something. But hair was, uh, hair's kind of spoiled me. I don't know how familiar you are <laughs> with the show. It, it, was, it was like, it's a show about hippies, basically. And, um, and I grew up kind of as a hippie, so it couldn't have been a better fit. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And, uh, so I, I was spoiled by that show. They actually, I actually played as the regular drummer in a revival of hair. They tried to bring it back to Broadway a few years later. And I was the drummer in that show and it didn't do well. Um, it only no. ran about. No, it only ran, ran about three or four months because they were bringing it back as kind of like a nostalgia um, act. And uh, it was too soon. The hippie thing had just died down. So to kind of look at it nostalgically, uh, it was just too early, you know. So it didn't do um, that well. But again, I love the show. I love the music. And uh, that was my, even though I did a bunch of other shows, that was my uh, number one experience on Broadway. Wow. So before I even talk about the music and everything, I, I am, I am really 
inquisitive from your statement earlier reading about who Rick Cutler is. And we want to know, in your opinion, how do a up and coming musician choose and shape his creative process towards success? Well, the first thing you have to have is um, passion. Um, there are many, many, many great musicians on the planet today. Many, many. Um, so you're going to be up against the best. So you have to have the kind of passion that will um, get you over any setbacks. And um, that's number one. Um, and I'd say in this day and age, if you don't have the passion, um, and by passion, I mean wanting to practice every day, you know, um, and thinking about music a lot of the time and listening to music. Um, so after assuming you have the passion, then you have to basically just do whatever you can to play with other people. And that could be anything. That could be, you know, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, anything. Because you never know at these, what we call club dates, weddings and bar mitzvahs, we call them club dates. You never know who's going to be, uh, you know, out there as a guest listening. And um, that could lead to something far, far bigger than uh, than just doing that one club date. So you so you basically have to just play with everyone and anyone, um, and even music that you don't like, you know, just to get your name out there and to meet as many people as you can. And then my my feeling is that it, putting all of that energy into that will bear some fruit. Might not bear some fruit as soon as you'd like, but ultimately it will, because I'm a great believer in uh, the fact that you put energy out into the universe and it will come back to you. Maybe not in the form that you want, but in some way, shape, or form. Um, and that would be the beginning of the road to being a professional musician. Okay. Well, the reason why I asked that question, because... Uh, within my corporation, we do have a small production company, and my husband, he manages his two artists, whom we have been together forever since 2005. Oh, wow. So I wow. have seen them made some headways. So that is a good thing. But the I think the main problem that they are facing is because they want to stay independent. So we don't mm. want to go under anyone for that type of control. And we have, and not we, they have been tested. I mean, far as some uh, DJs and some professionals had stated, try to test them and say, hey, let's see how you guys sound on this particular uh, music. And mm -hmm. so they have created some songs and they have have given the thumbs up. And I'm not saying that they're not sought after like that, but they are have been sought after. It's just that okay. you can't break up. You can't break up the six five Max family. 
That's just how that goes. However, they have traveled around in the Bay Area where we live in California. We have been, they have been to LA and Atlanta and Texas and some other places, really small venues, you know, little club, like when they have give artists the opportunity to get out there and show their talent and everything. Um, but I'm quite sure that they want to connect with some of the right people in order to get a bigger shine. Yeah. So what, what type do of you music? See? Mm-hmm. What type of music do they play? It is hip hop and yeah, it's hip hop, hip hop and rap. Okay. It's hip hop well, and rap. Well, that's one of the uh, major um, forms of music nowadays as far as oh, yeah. um, success and, and income. So they're, they're in a good, uh, they picked a good genre. <laughs> oh Yeah. And they have, we have a a catalog that's, you know, out and everything. And uh, we have our website, Mm 65max.com and uh, 65maxapparelworld.com. And we do sell our music on all of our websites because we do have our own um, clothing line as well. So we have just... Yeah, we have done some really great things and put some really great things together. And, Mm. you know, it has taken some time because we've been established since 2005. And it started off with the music and then it came with the clothing line in 2006, which was a year later. And then after that, I had established my foundation in 2010. Mm. I'm sorry, let me correct that, 2012. Okay. To give back. And I also, Great. yeah, teach and mentor girls at risk from 14 to 24 years old customer service skills. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's a good thing. That's something good to know. Mm-hmm. You were the original percussionist, right, for uh, Leonard Bernstein? Mass yep. that was written yep. and performed for the opening of the at the Kennedy Center in Washington D.C. Tell me about that. Yeah, that is correct, and that is an example of what I was saying before, as far as just taking any uh, gig. Uh, in this case, it was um, what got me to that was the fact that I was getting a good, very good reputation playing in uh, hair, and the guy who was the contractor for that show when Leonard Bernstein wrote this piece called Mass, which included, um, he had two what he called rock bands on the stage and a full, and a full orchestra in the pit and Alvin Ailey's dance company as well. It was a major, major production. And um, because I was this young, kind of hippie-ish-looking guy, the contractor for hair was also the contractor for the Mass. And he asked me, do I want to do it? And of course I said yes. And that's how that happened. And it was an amazing, amazing experience uh, to work with Leonard Bernstein. He's just uh, an amazing uh, soul, musical soul, and 
So, uh, in any other way, um, with so much energy, he he uh, was just phenomenal to to see in action and to play his music and to and especially to play this piece, Mass, which was which was a uh, world premiere. You know, it had never been performed before. Um, since that time, um, you know, I'd heard, I've seen uh, other. I mean, it's in it's in the repertoire. It's in I don't know what you would call it. I mean, it is classical in a sense but uh with the what do you what do you call it rock bands there were some uh more modern rock influenced rhythms used in and out so um it's a big feather in my cap to work with uh to have worked with uh, <laughs> bernstein and i'm very proud of it and very appreciative that i had that chance absolutely so in, in the fall of 22, you released the Black and Blue Sessions, Volume 1, right. and right. released Volume 2 that in May correct. of this that year. That is correct. Tell me about the Black and Blue Sessions and why was it important to release the Volume 2? So tell me about Volume 1 and what made you release the Volume 2? Well, here's how that happened. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, I was running around the playground with my grandson and tripped and fell, uh, right on my arm, right on my left arm, thankfully not my face, um, and got the wind knocked out of me and my entire left arm from shoulder to, uh, to just before my hands was black and blue, the entire arm. If you can imagine what that looked like, it was not fun. So as a result of that, I couldn't play. Um, I only could, uh, you know, I only had one hand that, that I could operate. And what I could do was point and click on a computer. So what I started to do was delve into my music composition program called Logic and just take in the, in the program, they have little snippets of uh, samples and I just started kind of cutting and pasting all these things together. And it had nothing to do with the music on my other records, but um, it, the black and blue, I called it the black and blue sessions, obviously, because my left arm was completely black and blue. And the reason I, I have two volumes is that I had so much stuff that it wouldn't fit on one record. I could have released the whole thing all at once, but I just thought that would be overkill, you know. Um, so I, I split it up into two volumes. And uh, it's the music is, is kind of strange. You have to have a very adventurous ear to to tackle it because it's not. It's just a lot of sounds thrown together in, in, in a certain way that uh, made sense to me. But you can kind of call it almost avant-garde. Um, but... You know, there's a small audience for that kind of stuff. I've gotten some some good comments about it, and uh, I don't know if there'll be a volume three. Well, the black and blue is gone, so it wouldn't be called the black and blue sessions volume three. But I still <laughs> <laughs> I still do a lot of uh, pieces that way by cutting and pasting and using samples, creating samples of my own, and um, putting them together in a way that I like. Um, but again, it's it's adventurous. It's not 
it's not normal music. It's very uh, avant-garde in, in a certain way. But like I said, certain people, uh, they have the ear for it. So um, if you if you feel adventurous, I would I would give it a, a try. So that's very intriguing. So tell me a little bit more. So how do you really come up with your music? Is it just certain things that you go through in life and you say, oh, let me make this beat or this particular sound? Is it something like that? You're talking about just the regular records that I put out with the normal sounding music, not the black and blue stuff, right? Right. Absolutely. yeah, so the way that happens is is simply by improvising at the piano. And uh, I'll improvise, and um, a little fragment will appear. And I will like it, and I will write it down, and then try to expand it, and eventually it becomes a piece. It could take a day, it could take a week, it could take a month, Um but that's how that music happens. I, I, it's not that I go, I mean, you do play what you feel. That's for sure. You know, but, um, it's not as though I go out into the world and see a piece of art and say, Oh my God, I have to write a piece, um, that, that would, uh, reflect that. It's not, that's not how I do it. I just do it by pure improvisation. Okay. 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 That sounds good. What is your favorite song to perform and why? What is my favorite song to perform of my own? Yeah. Um, yes, sir. That's a, I don't think I've ever been asked that. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, well, the first thing that popped into my mind is the very first piece from the very first record, which is called Sienna. And I, um, I have a lot of affinity for that piece. Um, and it just, um, as it, as it talks, speaking as a musician, it's, it's the way the core changes work and, um, they work in an especially nice way for me. So that would be my choice. And what would be the worst song? What would be the song that you... <laughs> all, all you should have thought I was going to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, when I finish a, a record and the unfolding is the sixth one and each record has about anywhere from 15 to 20 pieces on it. I mean, you're talking... Uh, some, uh, you know, somewhere around the neighborhood of a hundred pieces. And, um, when I finish a record, I, I just forget about it. You know, I just move onward. That's kind of my, that's the way I do things. I just move onward. So I actually was saying to my wife the other day, if you ask me to play, let's see, there's a song on one of the records. Let me try to find a title. If I can remember, <laughs> if I can remember it, um, I think there's one called uh, um, Heartland, I think. Um, but if you just said, play Heartland, I wouldn't. I wouldn't remember it. I'd have to go back into my notebooks and find it, you know, because it's just 
it's kind of like I'm, I'm past it already. So, uh, I don't have any, I don't have any worst piece because the way, the way that would, I mean, the way that would happen is I might start writing something and then the day later, my, my process is usually I'll, I'll start writing something. I'll come to a certain point, an end point on the first day. Then I just leave it. Next day I wake up and I sit down at the piano and I play it again and I see if I still like it. Um, most of the time I do, sometimes I don't, and I'll just basically just cross the whole thing out. So those would be the worst things, the things that I never develop into uh, complete pieces. Wow. And how did you come up with the name The Unfolding? Is the that unfolding, the, that's the title of the album, right? That is the title of the album. And The Unfolding uh, came about by... Uh, I was listening to an interview with a great uh, saxophonist who left us not that long ago named uh, Wayne Shorter, jazz saxophonist. And um, he was talking about uh, different universes, like parallel universes. And he's very much into science. And um, that stuff amazes me. Um, I, I'm a Buddhist, and uh, in my form of Buddhism... Uh, we talk a lot about um, eternity and uh, next lifetime. And um, the unfolding, he, to he told a story about how he and uh, the great pianist Herbie Hancock were invited to um, some institute. I, I, I don't remember the name of it, but um, the, the, the scientists working there basically we're doing studies on these things called parallel universes and you know science there's just you know you have to have a theory and they're coming up with theories and um wayne had mentioned that um the more they work the closer they get to actually being able to possibly have proof of this kind of stuff happening, you know? And, uh, I love that kind of stuff myself. So Wayne said they called it when they, when they speak about it, they call it the unfolding, meaning the unfolding of the universe. And, uh, that's how I got that title. Wow. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. So I'm looking forward to some of these golden nuggets we all okay. are waiting to hear. <laughs> okay. So tell us, how can an indie musician can go from being a complete unknown to working with some of the world's greatest stars? Well, um, it's pretty much what I said before. You have to, uh, you have to just have the passion and you and practice and get yourself out there. That's what I did. Um, it sounds simple, but it's not it, because you have to be persistent. Um, right. And you have to promote yourself. Um, and um, then, like I said before, also, you put all that energy out there day after day, week after week, and something will, will come back. I, I really believe that. Um, that much energy just doesn't 
um, evaporate in midair. It is, a, it's a physical force, I believe. You know, like you can't see it, but but it's felt. So that's how. I mean, it, that's how I went from, you know, being a five and a half year old kid who wanted to play the drums to playing with uh, Leonard Bernstein. By the time I was, uh, you know, eighteen or nineteen years old, and um, that that's the way to do it. Now, as far as um, it's it's funny because I spent I mean I spent my my entire life not uh, up until about two thousand and five being a sideman, meaning working for some other people. Two thousand and five is when I put out my first solo record on my own, and um, that's a whole other um, street to go down because that's hard, you know, especially for a guy yeah. like me who's uh, mostly instrumental music, mostly in the jazz vein. Not all, but mostly. And um, there's a very small listening audience for that kind of stuff. With your, with your hip-hop guys, you're in a much better position to achieve success um, because how popular that style is these days. That's really, you know, so much of what you hear nowadays is hip-hop on the radio and uh, other artists incorporating hip-hop into their music. I'm not one of those guys. So I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I'm like the David to the hip-hop Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's true. But now but, I'm going to get more in depth because everything that's going on, and I think that one of the, the, the issues that has arise is because you hear a lot of negative about the music industry and what's going on. Even though I am a firm believer that it just depends on what road that you go down and who do you deal with. Yeah. Um, I'm, I assume you're talking about um, when you say a lot of bad things about the music industry, you're talking about financially speaking. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's the the sh the big shame, especially in the United States, because this country doesn't really look at art or artists as anything that really deserves much money at all, you know. And right. um, and the the culture is not geared that way. Say the way it is, and say. European countries is a totally different thing. Um, so you have these, I mean, I, you know, I have, I, I have, uh, my records will sell or most of the time because of streaming, it's very rare that uh, someone will buy like the entire album. They'll buy a song here, a song there. And because of the way these uh, companies are set up, um, and it's really tragic is that um, they keep most of the money um, and the, mu right. the musician just, just gets like pennies and um, it's, it's, it's a tragic thing. I don't know how um, to combat that. I know there's a movement to do it, but I don't know how you're going to do it because you're dealing with like a huge financial um, machine 
that's very happy to keep things the way they are, you know, without thinking of uh, the musician, the artist. So it's 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 a it's a rough road financially for musicians, unless you happen to be again, say, a hip hop musician, and you're able to garner some success. But I've read that um, even artists who are very very popular and do really, really, really well. They make most of their money uh, touring, not even from their records. So even even there, yeah. it's not the records that um, that provide the stable income. It, it, it's the tours. And how, how many artists are there that are able to tour? You know, um, So it, it's a rough road for a musician. That's why... As I said before, you have to have the passion. You have to love music, you know. Right, they do. And, and, yeah, and and if you love it and really love it and have that passion, then, as I said before again, then you can get on the right road and maybe Absolutely. tour, which would be the, which would be the ideal situation. Now, when you say tour, so you would have to hire or seek who to tour? Is it through a particular company or like a road manager type promoter? Who is the direct source? Because I know they have a lot of different channels that you can go through, but then again, it leads to the road of paying this person, that person, and to that person. Right. I know right. I can speak for us. We, we we're looking and seeking directly, not mm. the third party. Now, when you say directly, what do you mean? So directly. So if there's a company out here that can promote artists and and help them uh, get some venues, so they can right. showcase, even if it's at the the little small clubs or you know and that's where you mostly start off at especially probably like you know our artists but it's just getting somewhere and then you can be heard and seen as you make these you know appearances exactly well that's you just answered your own question because that's the way to do it you need a promoter you need somebody who has the connections to all the venues and uh, or connections to the cer- to certain acts. Say, if uh, you become an opening act, um, you need someone with that with those kind of connections to start hooking you up with all of with all of the bigger um, venues and stuff. I've never done it myself. Um, <laughs> I've never had to do it. All the tours I've been on, I've been a sideman, so I never really had to deal with it directly. Um, but, uh, that would, I, I, that's what I would assume is, is the way to go about doing that. Yeah. And what is really an artist's responsibility? Cause I know a lot of times from what I read now and, uh, inspiring artists that are wanting to make it in the entertainment industry, they have a responsibility and it's not just about the management that you're under. Mm-hmm. Is there certain opportunities and there are certain responsibilities they have. Can you name about three? 
three. Okay. Well, the first thing that popped into my head was I think music or any good art form um, makes you feel good. And I think that would be a responsibility of an artist to, um, to just make a person feel better at the, after a concert than when they first came in. So that would be the first thing. Um, the other, another one would be to, uh, stay true to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Um, that would be a responsibility. Um, I would say as an artist to, I'm thinking now as more as a composer than a instrumentalist, but, um, don't settle for anything. You know what I right. mean? It's, it's just, yes. it's just, um, produce the best art that you can. I think that's a, re- that's a responsibility that an artist has not just, um, settle for, you know, like a grade B or a grade C or a grade D piece of music, produce the best that you can. And the, other thing I think an art, an artist has the responsibility for, and I, I learned this through my Buddhist practice, is to never give up. That's right. One of my, that's one of my that's one of my axioms of life, is to just never give up, and um, that axiom will serve you well. And if you keep that in the back of your mind, you'll you just will keep going and going and going and going. And there might be setbacks. And they probably will be, but right. you can use the setbacks as fuel for um, fuel to give you the energy to to go to go further, even stronger. You know, like I'm not, I'm never giving up. Okay, so this I have this setback, and I'm just moving on, and I don't care, and I'm not dropping my energy level. And, um, I'm going to just continue and continue and continue and, uh, never give up. We have a term in in, in Buddhism called the never give up, never give up spirit, which is something I really adhere to. And that could be in anything, music, it could be in, uh, you name it, you know, it could be in clothes design. It could be, uh, in getting an apartment. (laughs) It could be in finding, uh, it could be, could, yeah, it could be. In uh, finding a, a partner or a mate, you know, um, and that that's a big thing as far as uh, never giving up. Um, yeah, don't don't settle for uh, anything. Um, don't settle. Yeah, in 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 relationships with people. I mean, if you're looking to find um, a man or a woman to have a partnership with, don't don't settle and and don't give up finding the. Um, the right one, the one that you know in your heart, follow, follow your heart. And again, I, I talk about Buddhism in my Buddhism. They, uh, talk about how important the heart is. And, uh, one of my other axioms is, uh, to follow your heart. So follow your heart. And I have this, believe it or not, I have this on my desk. I have these three things, follow your heart, never give up and don't lie to yourself. Those are my three kind of the things that I've garnered through my journey, um, which I would pass on. 
Good. Great. I am a award-winning author of the, of the book, A Journey of a Sapphire. And I come to understand that when it comes to aligning your creativity, it is important to understand your journey by shutting out the naysayers. So right. you can exactly. share right. your story no matter if it is good or bad in order to right. see your accomplishments. In your opinion, when you share your story, because Rick, you have a hell of a story. So when you share your story to the world, what message are you sharing? I am sharing the message of peace. I think it all comes down to um, no more war, peace, people communicating with each other. Um, if I can, through my music, um, help that in the slightest bit, I'll be a happy guy. Cause that's, uh, at the, that's at the bottom of, um, that really undercuts pretty much everything. I, I just want my music to make people happy. I wanted to give them peace and I hopefully would want to contribute to world peace in that way. Yeah, that is so true. What is the best advice you have been given? That's a great question. Um, the best advice that I have been given. Well, again, instead of thinking about it for 10 minutes, I'll tell you the first thing that popped in my mind. Um, the best advice that I was given was from my drum teacher when I was about... Um, maybe 11 or 12 years old, who told me to study other instruments, to study percussion instruments, and to study especially the piano. And that set me up for a career where I could do all those things. And never in a million years did I think that I would be um, making a living as a, as a keyboard player, as a pianist. But most of the tours, in fact, just about all of the, you no, know, most of the tours that I've done have been as a keyboard player. And, um, okay. and with Henry's advice, you know, like, and Chick Corea as well, um, I would, I would say just, that would, that would probably come under the, under the, uh, heading of the best advice I'd ever been given. Yeah, great. Tell me about how you were interviewed by prominent organizations such as the Huffington Post. I, I mm. really was intrigued about that. Mm. Well, that was <laughs> um, the woman that I was working with at that time. I was promoting uh, another record, and uh, she had connections to the Huffington Post. And uh, that's the black and white of how that happened. No wow. big story, you know, but, um, yeah. And I know this is my $100 question right here, Rick. And I want that. I want the truth. Okay. <laughs> you sure you don't if want to raise you... it from 100 to, to a higher figure? <laughs> all I can afford. That's all I can afford, right? <laughs> Okay. okay. If that's you fine. could change anything about the industry, 
the music industry, what yeah. would it be? <clears throat> I could change anything about the music industry. It would be an industry that supported the arts to the degree that say it's supported in Europe, that, that, um, say we would have like, like national, um, orchestras or national jazz bands, um, and it would be respected um, as such. I mean that that's that's what I would that's what I would change. That that that's a hard one to do though because the the country is so locked in to the way it's working right. now that um, that kind of a change would have to occur over a great period of time. You know. But, yeah. um, but, um, yeah, I, w I would change that. And the fact that, um, I mean, in Europe, they have musicians, they have what they call radio orchestras. And um, they might do concerts with guest artists from the States. But the, the, and the radio orchestra, it, it's not a, uh, like a symphony orchestra. It's just an orchestra that could play with just about anybody and they're, the musicians in that orchestra are on a steady salary all year long. And I would love to see something like that here, you know. Oh, so they have, okay, of course, I mean, educate me <laughs> a little bit. But so in Europe, their music industry is a little different than here in the, in the United States. Oh, yeah. Music is way more respected as an art form over there way more. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying every single country, but it's, it's looked upon with respect. Let's put it that way. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, okay. as opposed to maybe in this country, it's more of an, just an afterthought, you know? Um, okay. yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say. Wow. And have you had any, like, on your journey, has it been, what What was the worst, like, you know how we have our ups, what was the worst down that, that you have had and experienced? The worst down? <laughs> uh, wow, let's see. The worst down. A few things come to mind. Um, <laughs> um, what was the first one that you were like, Oh, I'm just so done. Oh, okay. I got this. I got this story. Here's the worst down. You're familiar with the uh, artist Tom Waits? Yeah, I heard of him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I I got a call um, from one of his people, and uh, they said, "Well, we were recommended to you because we know you play the marimba, and uh, he's looking for mar a marimba player." I'm a big fan of Tom Waits, by the way. And, uh, okay. and Tom would like to speak to you. And I said, great. And he got on the phone and, um, he said, Rick, I'm looking for a lot of metal sounds too, a lot of metal sounds. And the way he said it, I know he just didn't mean like a triangle, <laughs> you know, he was looking for stuff right. like, like you comb a trash bin for, you know, and the worst thing I ever did was say to him, Tom, I'm sorry. I'm 
I'm just not the guy for that. I don't have that much of what you're looking for. That's the worst thing, I, worst decision I ever made. Because what I, in, in hindsight, what I should have done was just say, "Yeah, I'm your guy, no problem," and then just gone around the city looking for whatever medals I could, <laughs> so I could bring it to the recording session. Right? Huh? Try and, to find it to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So that's in but, hindsight. What was the yeah, outcome? The outcome is is we just spoke and we said goodbye and that was it. I I told him that I was not the guy to do that job because I didn't have that kind of uh, those kind of uh, percussive instruments he was looking for. So that was the worst decision I think I ever made in my career because I would have loved to have worked with Tom Waits. You know, and I was just thrilled to get to talk to him on the phone. That was it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's the that dumbest thing I ever did. <laughs> so rick i know we're heading up for time however is there anything else you would like to share about some golden nuggets for up-and-coming musicians who are trying to make a name for themselves also about what's next for you before we hang up and how someone can contact you well you can contact me through my website um Human Rick, which is one word, humanrick.com. Uh, I have an email address there that you can uh, use to get in touch. And um, as, as I said you know, a number of times, the, my three axioms, follow your heart, don't lie to yourself, and never give up. Those are the things I would, um, I would say would be the, the um, simple statement. Golden nuggets. Yeah, that's I would call them in my life. Those would be golden nuggets. Yeah, and as far as what's right. next, as far as what's next, um, I continually write music. Always, I have enough music now for two more records. But over the last year, I put out quite a lot of music with the Black and Blue records. Two of them, I put out a couple of uh, digital singles last uh, toward the end of last year, and now with the unfolding. Um, and the Black and Blue Volume 2 coming out within the last few months, I, I'm thinking I'm going to give that a rest for a while because I don't want to flood the market with too much stuff. And right. uh, But one thing I'm actually, uh, I have an idea for, which I really hope comes off, is um, what I would like to do, hopefully around the end of the year, is do a live performance, which would consist of, uh, three musicians and a poet and a dancer. Oh, that um, would be nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. And, yeah, and uh, and I, I have everyone pretty much lined up. Now it's just a matter of finding a space um, and um, how to promote it so that it would get its best result, which I haven't done anything like that in quite a while. So that would be the biggest thing. And, um, I would like to go back into the studio maybe toward the end of this year, but maybe next spring and, and start recording all of these new pieces that I have. Sounds good. Sounds good. It has been a pleasure having you on my show 
And I do look forward to chatting further in the future, Rick. So please keep me updated. And thank you again. And good luck on your endeavors. Thank you so much, Pam. You're so welcome. I have reached my destination. I am a award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. I hope to inspire others who are on their journey towards success to never give up on your dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. Please visit journeyofasapphire.com to purchase a copy of my book and also available on amazon.com Kindle Fire. And as always, I leave you with this quote and do have a wonderful blessed day. There is two kinds of music, the good and the bad. I play the good. Louis Armstrong. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. And God bless. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.